1: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And let's come right out swinging this week, John, tackling an important issue that's been on everybody's mind mm. since last week's pod. <laughs> you used the phrase dollars to donuts and paused <laughs> to acknowledge you don't even know the meaning behind it. And I was right there with you. I've heard it all my life, never thought about it. So I looked up the history of the phrase, and apparently it's an American idiom that originated in the mid-1800s, and the meaning is exactly what you'd figure if you stopped and thought about it. You're so confident about something that you would bet your dollars against someone else's donuts on it. Of course, in the mid-1800s, a dollar was worth much more than a donut, which presumably cost a couple of pennies. Currently... An individual donut at Dunkin' Donuts costs 99 cents plus tax. So basically, when you said it last week, John, you were betting dollars to dollars. Uh, So knowing all of this, will you now retire the phrase dollars to donuts?
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the beauties of getting old is periodically coming out with a phrase that you immediately realize hasn't, hasn't been uttered in decades <laughs> and has never been heard by much of the audience, including yourself. Uh, and that was one of them, Eric. Um, okay. So with tax, I guess the vague would be reasonable if you take the dollar side, except maybe in like California, although they are still pretending that no one makes sports bets out there. So I guess it doesn't count. Now I know there's five states, Alaska, Delaware, Montana, see, New Hampshire and Oregon, I think. You don't have a sales tax. So maybe the donuts buy a penny are the better play. But uh, now the real takeaway is that I don't drink coffee and I don't eat donuts. So uh, I had no idea how much a donut cost anyway. So, uh, OK, the other one uh, takeaway is that I'll try to retire that old chestnut. And if I fail, dollars to donuts, you'll just edit it out and I won't even know it.
1: Right. That's true. I, I do have that power um, <laughs> while, while we're at it. And maybe that old chestnut needs to be retired as well. Oh, I'm not yeah, sure. It's but, chestnut, uh... <laughs> yeah. That itself
0: is a chestnut. Yeah, right.
1: But, yeah. um, but uh, so as you know, I'm a huge coffee drinker and I'm, I'm also a huge donut fan. Uh, it's probably my number one sweet snack or dessert option, although it was a lot better when I was younger and not yet lactose intolerant because Boston creams were my favorite. And I've had to retire from eating those, you know, now I get either some kind of non-filled cake donut with a hole in the middle or the jelly filled, but jelly was never one of my faves, but uh, yeah, the Boston cream, you'll never hear me say anything nice about a Boston sports team or a Boston sports (laughs) fan, but I will give Boston full credit for its cream filled donuts. And, uh, and, and if someone would make a Boston cream, filled with a dairy free cream a soy based cream perhaps mm-hmm. i would pay much more than a dollar for that
0: yeah i mean when i was a kid the entenmann's chocolate donuts were mm-hmm. pretty damn good I'll, i like that but uh i gave them up decades ago and and also milk decades ago but right. uh, my twin eats more than twice the uh daily recommended recommend about for both of us so uh <laughs> we're covered the two of us we we've kind of got a tag team there and he takes care of both of those uh, issues
1: Okay, it's a good system. All right, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number one hundred ninety-five of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous one hundred ninety-four episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Remember, it costs you nothing to give us a five-star rating, whether that cost is measured in dollars or donuts. <laughs> I like that.
0: Yeah, and uh, coming up a little bit later in the show, we're joined by our colleague at US Bet, Sports Handle, My Bets, and other sites. Jeff Edelstein. Jeff is the staff's number one fantasy sports enthusiast, so we'll get his take on the Jock Peterson-Tommy fan fantasy football feud, which is awesome, Uh, the best ball phenomenon, and also sports betting topics like same-game parlays. But first, it's been kind of an early summer-level, mildly busy short week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it.
2: Here's your Gamble On News
0: of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
1: Let's kick off the news section with a big development out of Canada impacting the U.S. sports betting scene. At 6 a.m. Eastern on Wednesday, The Score Bet sent its U.S. customers an email that the sportsbook will be discontinuing operations in the States effective July 1st, about three years after making its debut in New Jersey. The Score is a Canadian company that had a very popular sports scores and information app long before it got involved in sports betting. And eight months ago, Penn National Gaming acquired The Score. So while this might sound on the surface like the company admitting defeat in the U.S. with its The Score Bet sportsbook, according to the folks in charge, it's just a reallocation of resources as Penn focuses on its Barstool sportsbook brand in the U.S., while the score bet is allowed to focus on growth in Canada, where it's off to a tremendous start. So Penn and the score are spinning this as an entirely positive development. Uh, Some quick facts here. Uh, The score is currently available in four states, New Jersey, Colorado, Iowa, and Indiana, June 15th is the cutoff for customer deposits in those states. And then the app, as I mentioned already, will be shut down on July 1st. As of now, it does not appear it'll be possible for the Scorebet customers to simply transfer their funds to Barstool. So, John, is this a significant step in the great consolidation, which we'll see a lot of the sports books in the middle of the pack or at the bottom of the pack disappear? Or is this just its own unique case of a company deciding it makes sense to use one brand in Canada and another brand in the U.S.?
0: Oh, in this case, I think it can can be both, really. I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember talking to score executives as they were about to arrive in New Jersey first, uh, you know, typically friendly Canadians, and they felt as if their app already was very popular with Americans who recognized the player game and league data all in one convenient place on their iPhone or smartphone was valuable even before the gambling option to called on that specific site. Um, But honestly, I had my doubts. And so I didn't see long term viability there. Now, especially because all four of those states we're talking about have robust competition, but, you know, so it's even tougher. But yeah. the purchase by Penn National and its deal with Barstool, yeah, it may have shortened the timeframe of the inevitable exit. the way I look at it. I mean, as far as consolidation, New Jersey has a 13% tax rate on mobile sports betting revenue, which might keep some small fry afloat a little bit longer than some states. But in the end, I think resistance is futile. Wait, are you familiar with that chestnut, Eric?
1: <laughs> I am. I've heard that one. Yep, yep. Right, good, good. <laughs> um, Yeah, I'm right with you that this is a case of, of, of both, even though I asked you an either or question. It's, it's a bit of both. I mean, this is a small part of the Great Consolidation, uh, which figures to happen very slowly, bit by bit, until finally some major shoe drops a few years from now, probably, you know, the, the uh, you always love to talk about the draft dual merger. That's, uh, (laughs) it's not right around the corner, I don't think. Um, But you know, one of the operators that we currently see as major will disappear in some sort of merger eventually. Uh, But for now, it it figures to be little ones like this every now and again. Um, But at the same time, this is unique to this situation where one company owns the score and Barstool, And the score has gotten almost no traction in the U.S., but is thriving in Canada. Barstool is doing fairly well in the U.S. So this is, I would say, a pretty undeniably wise business decision. Uh, But it it would certainly behoove Penn National to figure out a way to allow customers to transfer those balances before July 1st if they can. Because if they just have to withdraw all remaining funds... They might not redeposit them at all, or they might just as easily deposit them with a competitor as with Barstool. So that, that's certainly, I would think, a priority for Penn National if they can figure that out. Um, but you know, I, I'll just note that sometimes you hear sort of this corporate speak as as that people spin something like this into a positive. But in this case, I, I do think it's genuinely how they feel. It's not just corporate speak. I, I think the the Levy family, much as they'd like to have seen the score bet succeed in the U.S., I don't think they're just talking out of their asses when they say the timing is right to, to focus on one brand in one country and the other brand in the other.
0: I, I think that's true. But for Penn national, um, this might've been a little bit of a backstop. I mean, mm-hmm. Barstool is a bit, shall we say combustible. Right. And if, if it really goes South, they had something else maybe where, you know, I mean, I'm talking extremes here, but then right. Barstool can be extreme if they want to be. <laughs> sure. And, they can, they could have been able to say, well, you know, I understand either, you know, customer exit or even, you know, mandated exit, whatever, we'll go to our, the score alternate, you know, and mm-hmm. even a lot of people who maybe didn't subscribe to the score, if they're gamblers, they probably heard of it, right? So it could have been that something. So now Penn National's all in on Barstool. And like you say, the brand's pretty popular. So it, probably makes sense, but there's no uh, there's no net below the uh, on the trapeze here now. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, great point. Hadn't thought about that, but absolutely true that the score uh, did serve that potential uh, purpose that they hope not to need the net, but it is uh, nice to have a net. So interesting. (laughs) All right. Uh, Our next story is one that's been developing for a while now, uh, but we haven't talked about it on the podcast. And it's New Jersey's move toward requiring multi-factor authentication when customers log in to an iGaming app or site. Uh, The New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement recently approved new regulations requiring all operators to use at least two steps to log into an account, and it'll go into effect June 30th. In advance of that deadline, FanDuel and DraftKings are already using two-factor authentication in the state. It's not required where I live in Pennsylvania. But one of the sports books I use, PointsBet, does employ it anyway. So I can give a quick description of how it works, at least on PointsBet in PA. I log into the app with my username and password. Then I get sent a six-digit code via text message and need to enter that to complete the login, thus proving that I am who I say I am, or at least that I have not only hacked Eric Raskin's account but have also stolen his cell phone. You know, it provides additional friction to logging in, and it is mildly annoying as a user sometimes, but if it's the rule in New Jersey, at least all operators will be at the same friction disadvantage. One thing to note, as our colleague Matt Rybeltowski wrote for Sports Handle a few days ago, Multi-factor authentication might serve to make out-of-state proxy betting more difficult, such as the incident that got DraftKings in trouble, where a bettor in Florida was able to wager on his New Jersey account. The head of the New Jersey DGE, David Rebuck, insisted, however, that the proxy betting incident was not what spurred him to require two-factor authentication. Anyway, John, as we know... What starts in New Jersey is often copied elsewhere. So do you expect this will be the start of a national trend of requiring multi-factor authentication? And any other thoughts you might have on this story?
0: Yeah, I mean, extra security on the Internet reminds me of extra security at airports, right? The only two things I'm sure of is that some of it is critically necessary, and a lot of it is utter nonsense. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, there's a third thing. I don't know which is which. So same thing here. Uh, You know, I got to say, I despise two-factor authentication the way I despise New Jersey's new law that bans plastic or paper bags at supermarkets. You got to bring your own. <laughs> uh, or you do what my neighbors started doing the day the band began. Once you check out a small auto, you put the stuff back into that little gray basket they give you, and then you walk out with the basket too. That's uh, <laughs> that's New Jersey improvisation there. Very, very clever, but um, now no plastic bags is much better for the environment. We should have done this 50 years ago. Obviously, an extra ID for your you know smartphone. Clearly provides a better bit of security in some fashion, I suppose. Uh, and really, the uh, the code pops right up on your phone immediately. Right. But hell, one of the perks of old age is getting to be a curmudgeon, waving your fists at clouds incoherently, and <laughs> I'm doing it. Uh, so the answer is that yes, two factor ID is coming to a state near you. Uh, and hell, so is a plastic bag band. Just. To- Ready for that. Uh, I mean, between online casino gaming, sports betting, fixed odds and horse racing, esports betting legalization, and the bag ban, I feel like I'm living in the future here. I really do.
1: <laughs> yeah, you are relative to the past, <laughs> at least, I yeah. guess. Um, so, yeah, th- this is going to sound stupid. I probably shouldn't admit this, but um, I'm usually a little reluctant to sign into Points Bet because I know it's going to take an extra 15 or 20 yeah. seconds. Yeah. Um, my other apps, I'll sign right in. Points Bet. I'll usually browse the app and look at the odds without signing in until I found a bet I want to make and then I, and then I'll go through the process um but you know it's like the same attitude as I won't pop in a DVD anymore under any circumstances. That's too much effort. I'll find it on streaming without having to get up (laughs) off the couch. But of course, I'm old enough to remember a time when if you wanted to change the channel, you had to walk over to the TV and twist the knob. We get lazy and we want everything instantly. And an extra 15 or 20 seconds of friction is enough to turn me away sometimes. Uh, Pathetic? Yes, but still true. So um, with that in mind, I think it's really important. For states to require this just to keep the playing field level among sports books. You know, the operators who are being extra responsible shouldn't be punished for it. But yeah, I, I would imagine this will become the norm before too long. Most states will see that it didn't hurt participation in New Jersey, I'm assuming, uh is, that it made it that little tiny bit safer and, and more secure. So they will follow suit and pass similar regulations. Not all states, because bureaucracy will always stand in the way of common sense somewhere. But I think more states than not will require operators to do this. And it's a good thing in general. Like, If you want to make a deposit, I I feel there should always be at least a couple of tripwires so that people have time to think it through before just tapping one button and making a deposit. My only caveat is this, none of the authentication steps should involve identifying stop signs in pictures to prove I'm not a robot. Oh, that I've had enough of for one lifetime.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. I, You know, Rebuck told us this at the uh, Seton Hall Law School Gaming boot camp in Newark a couple of weeks ago. And then I realized I hadn't been on, he, he actually praised FanDuel for being the first to have it. Uh-huh. And I think FanDuel might be my only app on my iPhone for sports betting. And I haven't logged into it since this happened. Um, <laughs> like I'm the ultimate casual, like you say, the convenience and like, you know what? I don't bet very often anyway. And so I don't want to bother. But then uh, Wednesday night, either DraftKings or BetMGM or both, maybe they require it now too. So I couldn't get away from it. And uh, so I'm okay with it because, um, first of all, I have a smartphone, not a flip up as many of you might expect. (laughs) Good
1: good progress. So
0: um, the the code comes out. That's really convenient. But Uh the other option is an email but like somebody my age who doesn't have a, a smartphone for some reason, they have a dumb phone, um, the email, a look like I got to go find my email, I got to maybe I write it down and then I gotta come back. Like if you're that casual, I mean, the good news for the books is that if you're that casual, you ain't betting much money. That's for damn sure. So right. they don't really need your money. But uh, like I said, if I knew for sure this was really important for, you know, your economic safety, then I think it's great. But I don't know if it is, but maybe it is.
1: Okay, there we go. A a definite maybe coming from (laughs) uh, John Brennan. Um, So our third story this week moves from the digital world to the brick and mortar world as the largest in-person gambling competition every year. The World Series of Poker is now underway in Las Vegas with the first two of 88 bracelet events having started on Tuesday. And the big story this year. Is the new venue or venues actually? As after 16 years at the Rio, located just off the strip, now the tournaments take place at Bally's and Paris, next door to each other on the strip. Uh, the former of which is going to be rebranded as Horseshoe Las Vegas later this year, a nod to the WSOP's original home in downtown yeah. Vegas. It's too soon to know if this move is a positive or a negative for players. The complaints haven't started rolling in too heavily yet, but we'll report back on that later in the series. Not surprisingly, at the kickoff press conference, the WSOP brass was 100% upbeat and positive about the move. The highlight of that press conference, though, was WSOP executive director Ty Stewart responding to a question about the expected size of this year's main event, which starts July 3rd and last two weeks, with Stewart saying there's no reason for us not to break the all-time record for entries, which uh, currently stands at 8,773, a mark set back in 2006. Despite his optimism, I do see some possible reasons it won't be broken, notably the crypto crash impacting some poker bankrolls, and the fact that you never know where we'll be with COVID in a month, and it's possible some folks will be reluctant or unable to participate. John, are you aligned with Stewart in believing the record falls this summer? And any other thoughts on the seven weeks or so of WSOP ahead of us?
0: I think for the vast majority of Americans, COVID is over. Even if even if it isn't over to, right. for them, it's over. Um, plus, we're talking about gamblers, right? There is twenty grand on one hand on a hunch but a few extra hospital cases is going to make them afraid. I mean, sure, if a player's health is poor, they weren't going to go anyway, so right. it's not going to matter what the the, the trends are, So and, and rightly so. They shouldn't go, but that's otherwise, I think, not so much. Um, I'm glad you mentioned crypto, though. Now, I would watch a, an event on TV where a bunch of poker pros would say at least $500,000 each in crypto just sit there and watch the stock market ticker live <laughs> as their stack rises and falls, right, as dramatically as a bunch of seven-card showdowns. They'd and don't have to do anything. They just sit there and watch. And you see their faces, you know, rise and fall. You know, occasionally, we'll offer a moment where they can fold or add to their stack, right? So, and after the full hour or two hours, whatever the TV programming decides, uh, maybe the winner tripled his money. Or maybe the guy who folded five minutes in loses the lease, so he's the wins the bracelet. <laughs> right. I'd watch that.
1: All right. Well, that makes one of us. I don't think I can sit through <laughs> that particular show. <laughs> um But uh, I'm taking the under on the record being broken for the main event, but not by much. I guess it'll be somewhere right around 8000 players. There is a lot of pent up demand, surely, but without easy access to online poker in most states still and without the WSOP airing on ESPN anymore, you know, it's on streaming and it's on the CBS sports cable network that it's not nearly as prominent as ESPN it just kind of feels like the game isn't finding as many new players Mm -hmm. at the moment. It's not really in a growth mode, at least in the U S from what I can tell. Plus maybe the biggest factor is, is that the cost of living is high right now inflation and all that. I I just don't think enough of those on the fence recreational players are going to decide what the hell, yeah, I'm going to go to Vegas and pay the 10 grand to enter and get flights and hotel and all that. So I'm guessing like 8,000, which is still a great turnout, but, but not a new record. Um, a few other notes as we record this on Thursday morning. We have our first bracelet winner of the series, the $500 buy-in casino employees event which always kicks off the series uh, that ended uh, in the wee hours of the morning was won by Katie Cop, a dealer from Cleveland who turned her $500 into a little over 65,000. Uh-huh. Um, also, I see a whole new set of chips are being used this year um, and they seem to have a high approval rating and people noting they're not as slippery as past chips. So uh-huh. uh, that's good. And uh, I scrolled poker Twitter before we recorded. And the most important update from the WSOP so far comes from Phil Helmuth, the man behind the, opening a few seconds of our podcast he noted on twitter quote i'm skipping wsop event number two today i have traveler's diarrhea from weekend in mexico just thought you'd want to know about that John."
0: yeah i i, uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to say i can relate but i can almost
1: relate. <laughs> okay <laughs> it's time to welcome
0: a special guest from the world of gambling let's get to the gamble on interview
1: We often hear the complaint about Gambalon from our listeners that the show just doesn't have enough middle-aged white guys from the New Jersey, Pennsylvania area on it. So we hear you loud and clear, and we are remedying that with this week's guest, making, I believe, his third appearance on the pod. He is our colleague who specializes in covering fantasy sports and writing columns, and he, in fact, recently became a weekly fantasy columnist for RotoGrinders. You might also know him from the Trentonian and New Jersey Radio. He is Jeff Edelstein. Jeff, welcome back to Gamble On.
2: Well, thanks very much. It's, uh, I like representing the middle-aged white man from the Northeast. Uh, it's one of my specialties. <laughs>
1: right. Um, so we have to start with the hottest, weirdest story in the fantasy world. San Francisco Giants outfielder Jock Peterson telling reporters a few days ago that Cincinnati Reds outfielder Tommy Pham slapped him across the face over a dispute regarding player acquisition in their fantasy football league. Jeff, is this your favorite fantasy sports story this year? Your favorite news story of any kind this year? Your favorite news story of any kind ever? Give me your perspective on how amazing this is and who do you see as the winners and losers here?
2: All right. Well, I'll tell you, let's start with the winners and losers. The winners are is Fantasy Football Nation. The loser <laughs> is Major League Baseball in this because the, the biggest baseball story of the year is about a fantasy football dispute, and I'm not even like trying to be funny. It's the yeah. truth. The yeah. biggest baseball story of the year involves a fantasy football dispute. So you, yeah, you know, if this was flipped around, right, if two football players got into a little tiff over their fantasy baseball team, I don't think you'd hear anything about it,
1: right? right?
2: But this is this is fantasy football. This is America's pastime, not major league baseball anymore. And yeah, to to see this, here's something I haven't heard from anyone who plays serious fantasy fantasy football this is what i've not heard i can't believe it i can't believe somebody would get violent i i totally believe it i i've been in my fantasy football league since 1986 all right while no one has come to blows over it i we have there has been like arguments there have been like like serious arguments friendships hang in the balance at times are like we have built like our rule book it is it's probably 10,000 words, if not 15,000 words. It is like we are covering every angle. We're, this will never happen in our league because we know like what our rules are. But my God, I want to be in this league. This sounds this <laughs> like a competitive league. I want in.
1: <laughs> not just a, a competitive league, but a lot of people have talked about the possible money involved here that, that's sure. making it so competitive. And, There's one theory here that I'm not sure I subscribe to is that it must have been huge money at stake. It certainly could have been given that these are major league baseball players who make a lot of money. But I also feel like it could have been modest money and people just get emotional over the pride of trying to win at fantasy or, or any form of gambling. Would you would you agree that people assuming it's big money might not might not understand that the fantasy emotions run high regardless of the money?
2: Well, right. Big, I mean, big money is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, these are guys making millions of dollars a year. So even if they each put in 100 grand, like we're not even this is, you know, which I'm sure they didn't. But, even you know, no matter what they put in, I'm sure this is, you know, nobody's going hungry at the end of the day over this. But no, I think pride, you know, pride is a huge factor when it comes to fancy football, especially like leagues that have been around for a little bit. Like you want to win and you don't want to like get the short end of the stick. And if you feel like somebody's, like, putzing around with the rules, like, I've been there before. I know that feeling. It's anger, you know. And, and you know, it looks like Jock, you know, he, he's not afraid to throw a few, uh, you know, gifts around and you and, know, you know, trash talk a little bit. And Tommy Pham, listen, I don't know Tommy Pham, but, you know, I don't – I'll tell you this much. I wouldn't want to mess with him at this point if he's taking <laughs> it this seriously. He's beating – you know, slapping people across the face. I don't know. This is – uh Again, I want to be in this league. It sounds like a great league. <laughs> at the risk of potentially getting slapped, you want to be in this league? Listen, if, if anyone who's like willing to like throw fists over fantasy football, they're taking it seriously. Nothing worse, there's nothing worse than being in a season-long league where you don't have, you know, 11 other guys taking it seriously. So if it means that if I'm at risk that I might get hit in the face by Tommy Pham, so be it. <laughs> Take my money.
0: Well, I got to add uh, the commissioner of this league, of course, is Mike Trout, which definitely adds to the uh, intrigue. And I will say that about 30 years ago, I played in a golf scramble down at the Jersey Shore uh, with a a fellow I'll just call LT. So I don't identify anybody for that. And uh, he had mentioned the day before in North Carolina, he played for $10,000 a hole in golf uh, against an MJ who I won't uh, describe any further. So, uh, yeah, they uh, professional athletes can not only be competitive, competitive, which we know, but the stakes can be pretty significant, too. So uh, that's there. But uh, I want to add that uh, I'm really intrigued by this. uh, There's no need to fear. Underdog fantasy is here Um, now. probably nostalgic for me because I was a toddler when the original Underdog cartoon came out. And I think Polly Purebred was my first crush. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's uh, really fond to me. But I understand Underdog has a some kind of a niche perhaps in daily fantasy sports or even season-long fantasy sports, but I don't really understand what the heck it is. But uh, Jeff, you're going to straighten
2: me out on all that. Yeah. Underdog, they have, uh, you know, they've been around three years. Jeremy Levine is the, uh, you know, the founder and, you know, he, he was big in the DFS world in the beginning, you know, founding a few companies that, that really, you know, old timers in the DFS space, you know, going back to 2012, 2013, we'll remember. But uh, so, you know, he has the pedigree, he has a lot of nice you know, big name investors for underdog and underdog in the last three you know, is their third year. Now they've done a lot to popularize best ball uh, fantasy football um, to the point this year, their, their make their big tournament, the best ball mania three, uh, it's a $10 million tournament. Uh, it is wow. the biggest season long fantasy tournament ever. And it's the biggest uh, daily fantasy tournament uh, since the 150, you know, entry per you know, limit. Uh, kind of went into effect you know, via a few state laws. Um, so yeah, it's huge. They've they've already there's already like fifty thousand entries in uh, Best Ball Mania three. Obviously, it's you know we're recording this. It's June. You know we still have like you know hundreds of you know hundred days or so until opening day. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, you know the best ball concept is a lot of fun. Honestly, and, you know it certainly sucked me and I made it to the finals last year of Best Ball Mania, which yeah. You know, I had a you know, 160 people. I finished 151st in the finals, so <laughs> it was a little disappointing. But uh, no, it's it's fun. It's exciting. There's a lot of money on the line, and, and underdog is really you know pushing the envelope in making it and popularizing it. And and underdog will also be debuting their sports, you know, their sports book at some point. Apparently this year, uh, details are few, and they promise it's going to be a different experience. Uh, you know, waiting and seeing.
0: Well, even some golfers barely understand what best ball is. So tell me what it is for fantasy football.
2: Yeah. uh, For underdog, it's a, it's a draft. You draft 18 people. And then uh, each week, your best scoring quarterback, your two best scoring running backs, your three best scoring receivers, your best scoring tight end, and then your best scoring flex. They're the ones who get the points. Uh, Whoever has the, you know, you're competing against 11 other people. And then at the end of 14 weeks, the top two people in your 12-man league uh, go on to the next round. And then there's three rounds of playoffs and you're competing against everybody else. And then the finals this year, I don't know if the number's in front of it's 400-odd people will make the finals. And uh, two million to the winner. So it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, as a, you know, I'm counting my money now, but we'll see.
0: So it sounds like that kind of stars and scrubs thing from all traditional uh, baseball where, you know, you don't want all your players to do reasonably well. You want uh, the top people in, in each category to crush it. And the other guys, you don't care if they get hurt in the first quarter and they're out for the season. It doesn't matter because you, you got the guy who's got the big number.
2: Well, I mean, you want obviously going to want the guys with the big number, but you're also looking for the guys that you know are going to have what's called you know a spike week, right? So maybe you know this wide receiver, you know wide receiver, he's like a speed demon. Let's say he only catches, you know, they only throw him three or four times a game, like a Marquez Valdez Scantling from last year or Robbie Anderson on right? But you want to catch that guy, you know, if you have him, you know, and he goes off, you know, two weeks out of the year, that's and he gets all those points, you know, the majority of his points, and you know you'll be very happy with that.
1: And I've never played it. So just to clarify one thing. So during the regular fantasy season, before you reach the playoffs, you're just within your league against, so you'll never have player overlaps against your opponent because everyone drafted someone. But then once you reach the playoffs, you, you're up against other teams that may have
2: some of the same guys as you. Is that right? Exactly. And so when you're okay. drafting, you know, you're you're drafting with an eye towards week 17, really, which is with finals week, right? And saying, well, you know, you, and a lot of people start building their teams around like certain matchups for about week 17, you know, trying to predict what's going to happen week 17 <laughs> on June 1st is a, probably a fool's errand, but I mean, you know, you want to set yourself up, you know, in, in, in a way that, you know, if you manage to be lucky and smart enough to land into the finals, that you, you give yourself, you know, a fighting shot to, to get out of it. Uh, but honestly, no, though, the, the best ball made is $25 an entry. They also they're running what they call the puppy, which is the same concept, but it's $5 an entry. And the, the real, I think the thing that really just grabs hold of you is that each draft takes, you know, figure between 45 minutes and an hour. All right. I'd spend money just to do the draft. Like the draft itself is fun. You, you follow what I'm saying? Right. And so, and the, the added bonus now is now that like you're in it for money. And then on top of it, going back to season long fantasy for a minute, I've never been more prepared for my season long drafts. Than i have in the last few years that i've been doing best ball right i'm you know this is like i'm in like the training montage in rocky right now you know getting my reps in right
1: and with best ball nobody slaps anybody over mid-season acquisitions and putting people on the ir your team is your team
2: that's right there's no reason to be slapping that's very right right cool. okay
1: um so on the sports betting front you wrote an opinion piece this week backlashing against the backlash against parlays and specifically same game parlays. Yeah. Uh, you are not against same game parlays. You see them as fun, even if almost everyone loses in the long run. That said, are there ways you'd like to see sports books improve them more transparency, better odds, et cetera?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of these sports books are still working out the kinks um, using John's method of not calling anyone out specifically, uh, initials DK. Uh, they, they've, you know, it's been shown on Twitter a handful of times that a lot of times, like, their single bets offer better odds than their same game parlay bets. So, like, let's say we're just Jeff Edelstein over 17 and a half points plus, you know, a bit plus 10,000. Edelstein plus over 17 and a half points and, you know, the next to win, you know, plus 8,000. So, I mean, kinks need to be worked out there. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where there's money to be made. And this is on like, you know, I'm not a software engineer, so I couldn't do this. But nowhere yet does it exist where I can, where there's a calculator that will compare all the other sports books against each other. You follow what I'm saying? Because the odds are wildly different a lot of the times across uh, the sports books when it comes to these same game parlays. And I'm not talking like, oh, you know, one plus 300, one's like plus 310. I'm talking ones like plus 200, the others like plus 800, you know, like, I mean, sig- like significant, significant um, spreads. And so you, you really want to shop around when you're doing these things. And also the one thing that needs to happen is that most of them, most of the sports books interfaces when it comes to building these things are abysmal. Um, FanDuel, who really popularized it here, you know, stateside, I think their interface is superior to all the others right now. Uh, And honestly, I find that their odds are kind of superior to to all the others. Um, The one thing that I guess I would like to see a little different, I mean, this isn't going to happen, is that I I just wish the sports books could be, I want to say more upfront with the fact that you're not going to win. But they give you the odds. Like, they tell you, I mean, listen, you don't have to be a brain surgeon or a mathematician or the plus 8,000 is not good odds. Like, the chances of you winning are pretty slim, you know. And so – I, I guess in a way, when sports books are advertising to people about this, it does feel a little like icky, knowing that like, yeah, you're you're you almost certainly going to lose. But like, if you have the slightest hint of like mathematical acumen, right? Just I, 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 the teeniest bit. You know this. You know what I mean? If this is not like some giant surprise, and you know it because you see what the odds are. Now, can the sports books can they be fairer? Can they say, you know, are they are they kind of screwing you on the odds? They probably are, you know, but I'll, I'll tell you this much. If a fool and his money are going to be separated and it's going to keep the sports books in the black and it's going to like allow them to do other things and like offer better bets and more, and you know, more markets and everything. I guess so be it, right. Capitalism, America, you know, USA, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> and, I, and I guess the key one of the key things
1: you pointed out in your article about a fool and his money being separated is that this sort of bet a a little to potentially win a lot, even though you're almost never going to actually win, you, you won't go broke quickly typically with that concept. If you deposit 500 bucks on a site and you're making some same game parlay that pays 50 to one, you're probably not putting $500 at 50 to one, you're probably putting 10 bucks at 50 to one. So it it seems to, in a way, maybe encourage responsible gambling by the fact that it encourages you to bet a little to win a lot, at least.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's one way to look at it, right? And that, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of joy to be had. You know, if I'm going to watch a basketball game or a football game, like I could take five bucks and correlate, you know, five or six picks and have, you know, probably a few hours worth of entertainment for my $5 with, you know, with the uh, opportunity to win a lot of money. Um, whereas if I'm trying to like, you know, you know, let's say I'm going to you know, plus 2000 at 5 bucks, right? So I, I could, you know, or I could bet $100, like, on, you know, straight on, on, on the game. But like, I don't know. I, I, there, there's something about like the put a little down to win a lot and to do that repeatedly. It doesn't seem like such a horrible thing. You know, I don't know. I, I know a lot of people are against them. I know a lot of people don't like the way that the sports books are pushing them. But listen, this this is America. This is capitalism. I, you know, I feel like, I, do I need to put on a, a red hat here? But, <laughs> you know, it's just that businesses are in business to make money, right? And so the sports books are no different. Would I like to see more transparency? Would I like to see higher limits? And, you know, all these things that everyone talks about, of course I would. But at the, you know, when it comes to single game parlay, single game parlay, Listen, if, if they're going to offer them and they're going to offer me, you know, odds, and I know that I'm not getting true odds, but like they're still big odds and it's five bucks and it's a few hours of fun. I, I can't have a problem with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I kind of made my peace with this, even though I'm not a, uh, a fan of parlays and all that. But, um, you know, my mantra of the lottery is a tax on people who are bad at math. It stands. But also, I, I think that there are a lot of people, we all know people in our family, friends, you know, neighbors, whatever, they play $20, 50 $100 a week on a lottery, which to me seems incredibly joyless because you get the ticket and, you know, if you're at the liquor store, not that I've ever been to one, but, you know, from what I understand, they have them there too. Yeah. And then, you know, you see them scratching off feverishly and then oh, I lost again, like it's nothing. Like if you're going to blow a hundred bucks a week on a lottery, which I don't recommend, then you can instead put that into parlays and then you, you have an illusion of control, right? You, you choose the games and, or you choose the players in a single game parlay. And uh, then you watch it. It seems much more entertaining to me. I don't think you're going to win any more money in the end, but at least you get something out of it. I think so. Yeah. That's why, that's why I say i made my peace with it. But uh, I want to ask you one thing too, Jeff, about um, I go back to 80, 1984 with fantasy baseball and uh, amazed. I didn't even realize fantasy football was around in 1986 as far as you go back. But um, I'm surprised that no other sport that I know of is really gotten to those levels. I mean, uh, fantasy baseball or rotisserie league baseball like I have, that's going to last until us old farts die out. Fantasy football will be around forever. And, you know, I'm in a fantasy golf pool that I try not to mention very often. I'm not (laughs) proud of it either, but um, is there anything that's next? I mean, isn't there an NBA fantasy league option? Or how about um, Premier League soccer is getting bigger and bigger. But, like, I don't hear about uh, any growing wave uh, of other sports where younger people perhaps are playing fantasy on that level. Do you hear about that? Or is there anything
2: that might happen in the near future? As far as season long fantasy, I, I don't think so. I think football is unique in that it's, you know, it's weekly, it's four months out of the year. Um, and it's like, you know, it's America's game really at this point. And it's, I don't know, f- football I think has is uniquely suited Towards season-long baseball, basketball, hockey—it's every day. It becomes like a little bit of a grind. And if you're, you know, as a, I used to play fantasy, season-long fantasy baseball, you know, third week of April, your team might be out of it, and you, now you're faced down with six months of having to set lineups and do waivers and rosters. No one wants to deal with it. You know, football again—it's it, uniquely suited. And again, with with sport, with the rise in legality of sports betting, and as well as daily fantasy sports, the idea of like, you know, parking money. Uh, you know, for months at a time in an effort to win a season-long fantasy league. I just It's rough. I guess golf maybe could happen, you know. It, you know, it has like that – it's like that once-a-week thing where you only have to set the lineup once a week. But uh, I think, you know, between daily fantasy golf and, you know, sports betting, I think that's kind of takes – you know, sucks a lot of the air out of the room. Um, I'm kind of surprised that daily that, – that season-long fantasy has not cratered a little bit uh, in, in recent years. But it's just, I think it's just one of those things. It's just fun, you know, and, and so many leagues are, um, they're set. And like, I, I know like already in, in my league that I've been in since 86, you know, there's already like, we joke, ha but we're not joking. Like our sons are going to take our spots when we like, you know, shuffle off. Like, you know, there's there's tradition involved as well. Um, So I don't know. I, 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 I I'm hard pressed to see another sport coming anywhere near, uh the, the season-long popularity of football
0: yeah well i think baseball does pretty well uh in my league in the last 20 plus years the only two owners who have left um have left this mortal coil that's how they left so right. that's a pretty loyal group but uh again i don't think that's going to happen with other sports and I'm not sure why but uh, hey things change and uh those of us remaining we're uh, still uh, standing tall
1: <laughs> very good all right. Well, thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast again, Jeff. Always a pleasure talking to you. I feel no inclination whatsoever to slap you right now. So I'd call that a <laughs> successful appearance and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on again soon. Thanks for taking the time.
0: You got to take care guys. guys. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Two men, Two men. $10,000.
1: Will they run
0: it up
2: or blow it all?
0: It's time to check in on the gamble on bankroll.
1: Let's update our betting bankroll. And we're officially on a winning streak, although it was a modest profit that we posted last week. Uh, your recent golf struggles continued, John, as you had Zalatoris and Hovland for the top 20. Zalatoris missed the cut. Hovland finished long pause, 21st, just missing. So we lost 59, $55 a piece on those. Um, but you nearly made it all back with the New Jersey Generals covering. They're proving to be something of a juggernaut. Uh, that won $100. Meanwhile, my adjusted line on the Warriors minus eight and a half in game five against Dallas was a narrow winner. Uh, they clinched a spot in the finals with a 10-point victory, so that got us $125 in profit. Uh, unfortunately, while my individual game and, and prop NBA bets have been solid, My futures were a disaster this year. Uh, You'll recall I had the Warriors to win the Pacific Division during the regular season and the Suns to win the Western Conference in the playoffs. I got those completely reversed. Uh, And now my bet on the Miami Heat to win the East has gone down in flames. That cost us $60. And we're left with the Celtics representing the field in your preseason bet there. So we've still got that sweat going. Uh, All told, we won $55 this week. We're now down $3,447. We have $920 on in Futures bets. That leaves us with $5,633 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first, and I'm going to do two mini bets on Game 1 of the NBA Finals tonight. The Warriors are favored by three and a half or four points at home, depending on the book. They haven't lost at home yet all postseason. And I don't think they're losing this one against a Celtics team. That's still recovering from a draining seven game series against Miami. I do think the Celtics can win the series certainly. And, and you're the field bet has a chance of cashing, but I think game one is a tough one for them, especially with every player on that team competing in the NBA finals for the first time, the spotlight, Might get to them just a little bit. So this is sort of a tiny hedge against your Celtics bet. But of course, we can still win both bets or lose both bets. It's not a full hedge. I like the Warriors to cover minus three and a half tonight. Let's bet $55 to win 50 on that. And then a player prop. Grant Williams line is over under seven and a half points in two games against golden state this year. He scored four and five. And I heard some analysis from someone who knows a lot more about basketball than I do saying this is a bad matchup for him. He won't stay on the floor much in this series. He averaged 29 minutes and seven points per game in the Miami series, but he won't be as useful here for whatever matchup based reasons. So let's go $55 to win 50 under seven and a half points tonight for Grant Williams.
0: All right and uh yes uh Victor missed misses 6 foot Par putt on 17 on Sunday, and then high winds sent the field backwards. So, Hovland moved up from 24th to 21st while he's playing the 19th hole, basically. Um, but some nobody made a 25 foot or an 18, and a mm. semi somebody somehow parred the last three holes, knocking us out of what a, would have been a partial chop of three players at 20th, and and a modest win for me. But uh, it happens anyway. there's a great golf event this week in Ohio. It's Jack Nicklaus's Memorial Tournament. Strong field and the cream of the crop often takes over the top of the board which doesn't happen often enough in golf frankly so now bet mgm is back with my favorite which is top 20 and no chops Mm -hmm. Uh, t20th pays in full and i blatantly realized that uh bet 50 on two players and splitting is as boring as it gets so i'm going to try and (laughs) shake that up okay give me a hundred on englishman matthew fitzpatrick at even money to finish top 20 he could finish top five actually and 50 on irishman shane lowry also at even money there may be some wind issues this weekend don't you know
1: Okay, Uh, for my next bet, I'll go to boxing. I took a week off from it last week, and it's a shame because I was locked in. I hit a four-fight parlay that I wish I'd used on the podcast, Uh, but got to look forward, and there are several excellent fights this weekend, but my favorite bet is actually going a little out past the weekend. Next Tuesday in Japan, a rematch between Naoya Inoue and Nonito Denaire. Inoue won their first fight in the surprising 2019 Fight of the Year, Everyone expected him to destroy the aging Denaire. Instead, it was a thrilling battle, and it went the distance with Inaway winning. And Daenerys has looked positively revitalized since. And much to my surprise, a repeat of Inaway winning by decision is priced at FanDuel at plus 380. Uh, I thought it would be like plus 150 or plus 200, and that Inaway by KO would be around the same. But uh, no, Inaway by KO is priced pretty short and decision pretty long. That price just jumped right out at me. We can bet a little to win a lot at plus three eighty. So let's go $40 to win $152 in a way by decision in that rematch.
0: All right. Now this is an absolutely ideal week for USFL betting sharp. If if there are any, Uh, which even with my recent prowess, I sadly am not for sure (laughs) because at week eight in a 10 week schedule of an 18 league, three Mm -hmm. teams have clinched playoff berths, including our beloved Philadelphia stars and three teams have been eliminated. So an expert would know head coaching tendencies for meaningless games on both sides of the coin, you know, good and bad teams, Uh, whose stars are banged up. So, you know, they won't play and so forth. And I did do a little research. The only marquee game also is my selection. It's a 7-0 Birmingham Stallions playing at home uh, against the 5-2 New Orleans Breakers who can clinch the final playoff berth with a win. The Stallions can clinch the division title, too, but they're liable to do that regardless, since they would face eliminated teams in the final two weeks anyway. So the Breakers blew a small lead in the first matchup the and lost 22-13, so they know they can play with the big boys. Now, I couldn't find better than plus three with the Breakers for my 100-unit bet, but if you're a real gambler, you'll keep shopping until you find that extra half-point hook.
1: Uh, all right. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Jeff Edelstein. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US bets at US underscore bets. Go to USbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out.
0: Yeah, so I saw in our company's listing a pending story the other day about the match. And it's mm-hmm. old quarterbacks, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers against young quarterbacks, Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen playing golf. And I moved on. I didn't even know it was Wednesday night until I channel surfed uh, Google it kids uh, into it. <laughs> I, I think it was the fourth hole at the green. And I'm sorry. I, I just, I can't. I mean, Tiger Woods versus Phil Mickelson in any gimmicky format, you might get me. And you did get me. before amateur golfers, even I assume talented ones, doesn't move the needle even for this golf nut and i mean wednesday night head-to-head versus a two-time defending champion uh tampa bay lightning and the new york rangers i mean come on i'll admit it could have been florida against carolina and nobody's gonna watch that but but still and now just before i moved on i noticed the caption for the program was that it was only going to be 12 holes well once you're in a planning meeting for a golf event and someone says look there's no way we can do 18 holes here uh, well, yeah, that's right. Also, that means it's not even worth bothering to produce. I mean, you're you're conceding that it's, you don't have a real product. So 12 holes? Are you kidding me? I got a text uh, late last night. Someone at a golf pool asked about had I seen the event. So either it was a, even worse than I could imagine or maybe some late round magic. Either way, I, I just don't care. I'm sorry, quarterbacks. And with that, until next time, gamble on.